You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. How's it going, y'all? Good. How are you? Oh, doing so well. Doing so well. Glad to see you guys. Glad to be here. Um, I think it's fitting that on the this is our first episode into season five, and on the eve of us recording this episode, it is announced that West Wing is going to be staging a reunion. I couldn't believe it. I was wondering if you guys had already seen it and just hadn't told me. Well, people kept asking me yesterday if I had seen it, and I said, "Have I seen it? I orchestrated it." <laughs> <laughs> it just felt—it just felt providential. It felt oh. like our gang is getting back together. Our uh, our our other gang, our our I guess our, our vicarious gang is getting back together with West Wing. It just kind of felt like everything was coming into an alignment for this season to start. It kind of made me feel like people are talking about what's so bad about 2020, and I'm like, "What's so bad about it? West Wing's coming back. It's great." <laughs> But I'm worried. What if it's bad? I know. I know, Jen. We can't go there yet. Don't, don't, don't go there. Don't speak it, right? Don't yeah, speak it. Yeah, we, we, we've got to hold out hope. We've got to hold out hope that this could be everything we want it to be and that season five of Knowing Faith could be everything that we want it to be. Because, you know, how do we know season five of Knowing Faith won't be the season where this train goes off the tracks, right? Why I are mean, you saying that? What's the matter with you? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that. I, I'm just, I'm just saying I, maybe if I say it, it won't happen, right? Is uh, that how that how it works? Yeah, I think it's there's the a verse about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, did well, you guys see um, when we were, when I saw that Nickelback, did you see that about Nickelback is also yes. going to do like a reunion tour? Yes, yes. Well, so I tweeted something about, man, this could really set back the timeline for uh, our Crickleback release. Right. And do you know what happened instantly to me on Twitter? I started getting ads for Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> The algorithm, the algorithm was like, this woman is looking for Cracker Barrel, not Crickle Barrel. <laughs> I thought you were about, I thought you were about to say that you got a cease and desist letter from Nickelback representation. Not yet, but I'm checking every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, please, uh, dear Jen Wilkin, please stop uh, forming a Nickelback parody band. Um Hey, it's That's not awesome. a parody. It's going to be serious music. It's, it is. It is. I mean, certainly blending together the music of Creed and Nickelback, nothing could result from that but serious, serious music. And Creed, um, right? Wasn't it and Creed. Creed and yeah, Creed yeah. and Nickelback? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are when I and when I and I know that your playlist is full of Creed and Nickelback. <laughs> That's the right. That's that's the book writing soundtrack. Yeah, okay. in ACDC, evidently. Now we're going to name it the Cracker Barrel Tour. Right. Yes. Cracker Barrel Tour. Get the corporate sponsorship. I mean, I can see this thing coming together. <laughs> it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. <laughs> and um, starchy. Gain 40 <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But if they were if they were going to offer free biscuits, I'd be like, I'm in. All over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I mean, that. And do you guys remember that Cracker Barrel has like the checkers boards in the restaurant? The, the, uh, well, I've seen the ones outside that I think are are chess boards, and they're like huge. No, well, I guess when I grew up, I always thought about Cracker Barrel. They would have like in the sides of like kind of the restaurant for kids to go play checkers, like on a mat. And I would always be like, let's go to Cracker Barrel. And my dad would be like, why do you want to go to Cracker Barrel? And I'm like, to play checkers. And my dad's like, we could play checkers here. <laughs> we don't need to go to Cracker Barrel to play checkers. But for whatever reason, I associate it with that. 
Here we are, season five. Hey, thank you for listening. Thank you for jumping into this. If you are back with us, uh, we took a break over the summer and we talked a little bit about that in the teaser episode for season five. And we're really excited. We're covering the book of Genesis, specifically Genesis 1 through 11 uh, this season. We'll see uh, what, what happens after that. But uh, hey, that felt too fast. We're doing Genesis 1 through 11. Isn't that awesome? It's incredible. Yeah, we need to celebrate that a little bit. It's, yeah. it's going to be fun. I mean, that and it's not first and second chronicles uh uh-huh. right oh, so i think first and second chronicles heard you <laughs> and they're wounded um, i'm curious what's going to show up in your ads now that you've <laughs> exactly uh-huh. um but uh yeah genesis 1 through 11 i think this is going to be a real like i think this is going to be a blast i mean mm-hmm. you think about how formative an understanding of genesis 1 through 11 is for understanding the rest of the story of scripture mm-hmm. right I had someone ask me um, a couple weeks ago in an interview, what is the book that has most changed your understanding of the Bible? And I know what they meant. And I was like, oh, this is going to sound so churchy when I say it, but I couldn't help it. Because seriously, the book that has impacted the way I read the Bible the most is the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. Like just getting into it and spending time there, it has really... um, shaped the way that I understood, not just the New Testament, but, you know, I mean, the rest of the Old Testament too. It's everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It, um, you know, sometimes we, they'll, they'll, uh, you'll hear uh, people talking language of like echoes in scripture or resonance in scripture, like a passage of the Bible or a book of the Bible or a verse, how it kind of reverberates through mm-hmm. the rest of scripture. And once you really kind of settle in on Genesis 1 through 11 and you kind of wrap your head around them, you start to hear and see echoes of Genesis 1 through 11 throughout the rest of the story. I mean, it's just everywhere. Uh, Sometimes it's very explicit. I mean, something specific is called attention to, but oftentimes it's just those themes that are being worked more and kind of deeper and deeper into the grooves of the story of scripture as you go. And so I'm really excited about it. Well, it's been really interesting too, because, you know, right now there are a ton of conspiracy theories floating around and a lot of them involve um, apocalyptic images and the end of the world. And half of them I read and I'm like, man, if you just had read Genesis, you wouldn't think about this the way that you do. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. I think it's timely. I mean, it's always timely to read Genesis, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be really fun to kind of get into it. Yeah, and just like a t- kind of typical knowing faith fashion, the way that we'll do this is it's almost like there are two rails that are kind of going alongside one another, kind of like train tracks. And we'll explore the story of scripture in Genesis 1 through 11, kind of focusing on the text. But there will be episodes where we occasionally step away and do more of a thematic or a theological deep dive into a certain passage. So there will be episodes where it feels like, hey, we're really kind of driving with the text here um, and trying to dig into some of the nuances of the story and how it's laid out, but then we'll step away to talk about, okay, what aspect of Christian belief really emerges from this passage and how does that influence uh, the rest of Christian belief? How does it influence our faith? And so that's kind of what the cadence will be like as we go through this season. And that makes it really fun because it allows us to kind of follow the story and then kind of dive deep down every once in a while to kind of explore, okay, what is the saying um, about who God is, what he has done, who we are, and I think that's a real joy. And we have got some great guests coming on to help us do just that over the course of the season. And so, uh, yeah. But today, let's just start high level. Let's imagine somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, let's okay. Imagine. 
<laughs> Let's hope. I can see it. I can. Uh, yes. Uh, I've got it. I'm ready. Can you imagine? Close your eyes. Somebody might be listening to this. Uh, let's hope uh, somebody is listening to this. Uh, and they're here talking about Genesis. They know it's a book in the Bible. They know it's the first book in the Bible. But that's about what they know about the book of Genesis. Let's start with that. What is the book of Genesis? Well, I think most people actually know a little bit more than that. Like, I think they remember the story of Noah. You know, like they they know all of the stories that were taught to them as a child if they were in the church. But then even people who weren't in the church as children, they know some of these stories, um, and at least in passing. You know, everybody, everybody knows about Adam and Eve. They, they think there was an apple. Um, yeah. They know about the snake. So they feel like, oh, yeah, 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 Genesis. And I think like a lot of other books in the Bible, it suffers from um, an over-familiar uh, idea. Like people, I didn't say that. An oscillation kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost. It's yeah. morning and we're all sort of staring at each other like it's <laughs> too early to be doing this. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is pretty blurry right now. Yeah. But, so. yeah, but people are they, – they, they probably feel more familiar with the book of Genesis than they actually are. Well, they think it's a simple story, right? Yeah. And so the simple pieces of the story that they know, they're like, oh, that's all you need from that. Like they don't, there's, right. they're, they're, no one has ever invited them in most cases to go deeper into what it's saying and ask, well, why, why this story and not another story? You know, why, why start with, with these stories versus other stories? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think, I think that's a really good point because uh, one of the things that I often encounter specifically whenever I am discipling somebody who's relatively new to the faith or maybe they just haven't spent much time in the Bible is that Genesis is a book that they have uh, – it's like my Greek professor used to say about learning Greek. After your first semester of Greek, you know just enough Greek to be dangerous yeah. but not enough, uh, not enough <laughs> Greek to be helpful. I think that a lot of times people know just enough about Genesis to be dangerous but maybe not enough about Genesis to have some clarity around how it's shaping the rest of the story, right? And you find this oftentimes with the preoccupation with lots of, uh, I think people's estimation is that Genesis covers some topics in great detail because of the cultural conversation around the book of Genesis that it doesn't, right? A lot of times what people want to talk about when it comes to the book of Genesis is not always the stuff that the book of Genesis is actually discussing. Yeah. So, so that's actually probably more my story. I think Jen is exactly right to talk about how most people interact with Genesis or how they think of it. But for me, Genesis was, this is before I became a Christian. It was like the book that I guess this is where I start. And most people talk about starting their Bible reading and ending, like not being able to get past numbers. It was hard for me to get past Genesis because I had wildly uh, misunderstood what the book was supposed to be about. I was like, where are the dinosaurs? How many days did this take? Like, I would get to Genesis 6 and be like, this is boring because I didn't understand what, of course, I didn't have the Holy Spirit. I didn't have the right motivation for reading. I was looking more for arguments into, you know, that, like, it, like an intellectual argument than I was trying to be shaped and formed by a text. But Kyle, what you're addressing here is, is probably more where I was. And I was like, this isn't addressing any of the, the, the hot button topics that I thought it was supposed to address. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first time that I felt like I was put on the spot in my faith. I was sitting in the high school 
football stadium. And some kid was like, some like other student was like, uh, hey, uh, pastor's kid. Uh, uh, I was, I was, I opened up my Bible in Genesis and it didn't say anything about dinosaurs. Where are the dinos at? And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, I know I should be able to respond to this person but I don't know where the dinosaurs are at. Uh, and I felt really like genuinely, I remember it being the first time I felt really crippled by like, like, I don't know. But now what I wasn't prepared to do was to be able to say, listen, the book of Genesis is actually giving us a very coherent, meaningful account of how God has created the world and why God has created the world. And I just, I didn't, I was, you know, I was a senior in high school and young in my faith and learning how to talk about the story of scripture. You should have been like, at the Natural History Museum. Yeah, yeah, but I do think that's the, that is the reputation that the book of Genesis can have. It's like, oh, it's safe to talk about with other Christians, but man, don't open it up, you know, to anyone outside of that room because they will think you are cuckoo. Yes. And I remember, uh, I think I may have mentioned this on here before, um, I, we had some neighbors down the street who we, we don't, didn't know very well, but they knew our friends across the street who were Christians and they referred to them as the people who didn't believe in dinosaurs um, because they thought, you know, yeah. Christianity is anti-science uh, because of books like Genesis. Yeah. And, and then I think when we, when we read it, especially like I'm picturing, you know, young JT cracking that open, it feels like you're reading myth or fairy tale or, um, and, and, and because we, we don't have some basic ground rules for how we ought to be reading that book. And so I think that's why so often it gets kicked to the category of, well, these are children's stories or yeah. uh, just sim- really simplistic. Um, but, but it's a, it's a really well-crafted, uh, really well-thought-out narrative that is, that is asking and answering different questions than we typically bring to it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's just start there. So what is the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis, yes, is the first book of the Bible, but more important probably for the Israelite understanding and the Jewish understanding, it's the first book of the Pentateuch. Uh, oh, that's the, a... Mm. Yeah, it's a, that's a big word. So let's just... <laughs> I don't have my buzzer. I meant to have a buzzer this season. That was going to be so fun. Well, yeah, for you. Um <laughs> <laughs> Not for JT and I. JT, when I say Pentateuch, I mean what? First five books of the Bible. These are the the the, the primary books that were shaping the life of Israel in their in their early years. Right. So this is um, the Pentateuch is not just the narrative of Genesis, but it, it includes Exodus, and then it includes the Levitical law. It includes Numbers and Deuteronomy. So it, it really brings you from the very beginning of the beginning with, you know, the earth being created and the heavens being created all the way through to Israel entering in to the promised land, right? After Egyptian slavery, after wilderness wandering. So Genesis is a part of a, it it has to be seen as almost one volume in a five volume set. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair. And I, uh, I might even take it a bit further. Feel free to push back. But really what you're talking about, and I'm going to use a big word, Jen, but I'm going to define it, <laughs> is you're talking about what, what we would refer to as a canonical reading of Scripture, that you're not only wanting to get a close reading of each text. So let's dig into Genesis 1 and see what Genesis 1 means. But you're never wanting to read Genesis 1 outside the rest of the canon or or the larger story of Scripture, which would include not only the Pentateuch, 
but also all 66 books of the canon, excluding third Corinthians. So <laughs> <laughs> again, I, again, I'm just sitting Somebody's over here. Coffee has worked its yeah. way through. His system. Yeah. I, I'm just over here assuming the best. I didn't even see that that was coming and I should have read it from a mile away. No, but, I, but I'm also being serious, like not about third Corinthians, but about like the Genesis is meant to be read in light of the Pentateuch, in light of the law and the prophets, in light of wisdom literature, in light of the gospels, in light of, like, we don't just read it going forward. We also read it going backward, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. We want to Mm -hmm. think about Revelation 21 and 22 and where the world is going. And we're informed by Genesis 1 and 2. And also it informs, uh, Revelation 21, 22 informs Genesis 1 and 2. So the way Barry Jones, he used to do a seminar for us at the village, he would talk about uh, every creation narrative informs us where the story is going. It's not mm-hmm. just, in other words, your cosmology or your understanding of who God is, who humanity is, and what the story of the world is. Your creation narrative sets the trajectory for anything else that can happen in the story. Mm-hmm. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. The CSB Life Counsel Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Yeah, that's helpful. And just from like a hermeneutic standpoint, when we're thinking about what you've said, JT, in terms of deploying that practically, you're, you can almost think about it in terms of like reading and interpreting within concentric circles, right? Yeah, exactly. You're like, you're looking at like Genesis 1, but then you're looking at Genesis 1 in light of Genesis 1 through 11, because it's a unit. We'll talk a little bit about why we should see Genesis 1 through 11 as kind of a defined structure within Genesis in a further episode. But so you're looking at Genesis 1, then in Genesis 1 in light of Genesis 1 through 11, then Genesis 1 in light of Genesis, then in light of the Pentateuch, then in light of the Old Testament, then in light of the whole canon of Scripture, Old and New Testament. So you can think about it as kind of circles that are kind of going from the broadest range of kind of interpretive space into a narrow space. And you kind of kind of constantly have to be moving back and forth between right up close to Genesis 1 and then panning out and then kind of panning back in, right? I mean, does that fair, Jen, when you're thinking about just studying a, a, a section like Genesis 1 or any passage of Scripture? Yeah, absolutely. But I do think that for um, some of us who are maybe new at this, that can sound really intimidating. And I think what we need to remember is we learn how to do this over time. So uh, actually what we're going to do this season is an opportunity for us to sort of dip our toe into that a little bit. Um, it's, it, it's one thing to say this is how it functions, but it's another thing to actually be able to 
to flex that muscle, so to speak. So we're going to try to learn some muscle memory around these first 11 chapters of Genesis so that we can do that zoom out and zoom in function when we're reading, um, reading the Bible as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that um, one of the things that somebody might be asking when they get to the book of Genesis is why is it named Genesis? Like you're not going to like you don't, Genesis is never said in the book of Genesis. You it's know named I mean? after a rock band from the 80s. Well, that or a, or a video game console from the 90s, right? <laughs> Sega Genesis. So that's the, our generational divide here. Um, but if somebody's going, well, why is it named Genesis? The why? Why is it named Genesis? Genesis comes from, uh, it's just a word that means beginnings. It means the, the start of things. It's, it's not all that different than how Matthew starts his gospel when he says this is, the ge- this is where we get the word genealogy. This mm-hmm. is where it came from. This is where it's going. This is, this is the beginnings is really what, it, what the term Genesis means. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things that we'll talk about uh, through the book of Genesis is that you can find there's this um, uh, structure where there's this kind of genealogical structure that is happening specifically through Genesis 1 through 11, uh, where there is sometimes it's called the Toledot structure. It's a mm-hmm. Hebrew word to describe this phrase in the generations of or in the beginning. So Genesis 1 through 11 has this kind of series of beginnings. Um, and of course, that starts in the first chapter of Genesis and Genesis 1 in the beginning where you have, this is the, this is creation. This is God doing this great initial work. These are the generations of, and like, so in Mm -hmm. Genesis one, what we see is here is the generation of the earth. So you get the, it's sort of like a genealogy of the six days and the seventh day on the end. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, All right. So uh, when we think about a book of the Bible, we have to consider the original audience because that's crucial for us kind of coming to an appropriate understanding of what's happening, who's hearing this the first time, and that should be formative for us. So who is the original audience of the book of Genesis and why does that matter? Well, so um, the the authorship is attributed to Moses and yep. it's attributed to him by Jesus and, and the New Testament authors. And so we're going to take that as, as useful information. Agreeing, um, with, agreeing with Jesus. You know, we're going to agree with tra- Jesus on Always this a good strategy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, but I do think that we don't often allow the idea that Moses was the author to shape the way that we read this. We think it's just written by some mystery author. Um, but, you know, most of us know a little bit about Moses. And so I do hope one of the things we can do as we're walking through um, this portion is to point to that authorship and ask why would this particular author have written this this particular way? Because, um, you know, we've talked about, you, JT says all the time, all theology is autobiography. And it does not do any damage to the idea that scripture is inspired by God to say that uh, the the personal um, experiences um, of the human author are used to shape the way that the story is given to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree, I agree with all of that. It's also, I think, important to note uh, as best we can what caused him to write this. Yeah. Like, which is part of his autobiography. And it, it really comes from, he's, he's likely writing this uh, after the Exodus. Israel is wandering in the wilderness and two things are happening to God's, well, there's more than two things, but two important things I think for Genesis are happening to God's people. The first is, is they just left creation myths behind in, mm-hmm. in, in, in uh, Egypt. And so God's people 
for their time in in, in uh, Egypt were, were being shaped by these pagan creation myths and how gods would emanate and creation was a part or a uh, kind of an emanation from the actual gods themselves. And so they, it was likely that they had been discipled by these other false stories. And Moses wants to show them what the true story is. But the second thing that's happening is they're also about to enter the land of Canaan where mm-hmm. there's more pagan creation myths. And so he's trying to set apart for God's people who God is, who they are, what creation is, who they're supposed to worship. So if it's okay with you, I don't want to read a a ton of this, but a great resource for people if they're thinking about, I want to dig in further. One of my favorite books for Old Testament theology is Bruce Waltke's Old Testament theology. And he just has a couple sentences here that I thought might be helpful as we're thinking about the, the audience. And he says, at the heart of Moses's creation theology lies a revolutionary message against other creation myths. It's that one personal benevolent God overcomes the primordial chaos, so everything that was before creation, which was an abyss blanketed in darkness to create a habitable world for its inhabitants. And he stands apart from his creation as the creator and ruler. He's not part of the other pantheon of deities or pantheistic force that is bound up with his creation. But rather, his act of creation signifies that the whole world is not a part of his divine being. He creates and sustains all by by the power of his being. And this assertion that God is the creator of all that is good and the ruler of the universe is the ultimate statement about the creation narrative. He is just, righteous, and faithful and works on behalf of all that is good. So do you guys want to worship now or later? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I was just, I was reading that and I I think about like how, how formative would this have been for God's people as they're wandering in the wilderness Mm -hmm. and they don't know where they've come from and they don't know where they're going. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the primary reasons that Moses writes this down is he's trying to orient them to the things that matter most in life, who God is, who they are, how they should interact with each other ethically, how they should interact with their world ethically, and ultimately where they're going in this God who is redeeming them from Satan, sin, and death. He's wanting to, yeah, he's going to, he's going to ask and answer the, the, what we call worldview questions, right? And he's actually going to, he's actually going to give it a little bit of a twist, but that, you know, the typical questions that every human asks are first, who am I? Second, why am I here? Third, what's the problem? What's wrong? Uh, Why are things broken basically? And then fourth, what's the solution? So who am I? Why am I here? What's the problem? What's the solution? Genesis is going to address all of those, but it's actually going to do another thing that's very clever and will set Israel apart. Before it says, it asks the question, who am I? It's going to ask the question, who is God? And so we'll see that when we start uh, into the actual text. But that right there is a reorienting that Moses knows that they need both because of where they came from and and where they're going. But these are questions that every generation asks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think that um, what both of you are saying in terms of the approach of Genesis, the, the kindness of God in revealing himself to his people in this way, is uh, it's, it's addressing these worldview questions and it's addressing them in a way that is, I think, persuasive, meaningful, and distinct from the answers that the other nations around them would mm-hmm. provide. It's addressing some of the false stories they've been told, but it's doing so in a way um, that has incredibly rich imagery. It's immersive. 
This, this story is immersive for the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's vital to understand because of where they've come from. Uh, like JT was saying, you know, th- these false stories that Egypt gave to Israel during their enslavement. This was, when we say false stories, we don't mean that there was a shelf with some books somewhere. Right. And we don't mean that some guy stood up once a week and read them. These are the stories of the false gods of Egypt. We're talking about a culture that had the, some incredibly rich iconography and imagery where the whole life of its society, the buildings that were there, the way that the the, the the city was developed, the architecture, the culture, the language, the, their political system, everything was rooted in an alternative story that had very clearly defined false gods, so clearly defined that in Egypt you could literally point to them and that supposedly one of them, an incarnation of one of them, sat on the throne. Mm-hmm. So this is a... We're not talking, I mean, I know when we hear story, you may hear that and think this was a book that they were read to or they read or some sort of very ideas driven system that they maybe the intellectuals were exposed to. No, this was a immersive experience. And I think that's helpful when we begin to read Genesis 1 through 11, because there is very rich imagery in Genesis 1 through 11 that's not just giving a meaningful account to Israel for who God is and who they are, but is also arguing against the false stories they've been exposed to and will be exposed to in Canaan. The term that is often used to talk about what you're talking about, just to add to our vocab, is polemic. That this is a polemic, but it wasn't just a polemic then, it continued to be. So in some scholarly circles, there's some debate about, well, when did when did Exodus or the Pentateuch come into its final form? And some would argue it came into its final form in exile, in the Babylonian exile in about mm-hmm. 605, 600. And for us, I don't think it really matters because, of course, God, you know, God's people were taking and reading and commenting on, on God's word. It was written by Moses. But then it's also still forming as a polemic or working as a polemic uh, during Jesus's time and against right. the Roman understanding of the world. And yep. it's also still true for us today as we're told other forms of who we are, who God is, why we're here, what the problem is, what the solution is, because th- those are still the ways that we're trying to, society's trying to answer major que- worldview questions. It's still functioning as a polemic for God's people. Yeah. yeah. And I always substitute when I'm thinking, when I hear the word polemic, I just think argument. So it's yeah. basically, yeah. it's a good argument. And, and I think that's an important distinction, JT, because um, I think we read, we read this and we think, oh, it's a history. Well, it is a history. I mean, it's doing a lot of things in that history, but there's no such thing as a disinterested history in the Bible. They're always written as a polemic. Um, they're always written to, uh, and I would say all history is, just for the record, mm-hmm. is always written to convince of a particular view. And so the Bible, I, I guess the difference between uh, the way some history books might be written and the way the Bible is written is the Bible is not trying to cover that up. Like Moses is not trying to sneak attack a message on you. He is recording this history with the intent of shaping the way you understand the answers to these important questions. Yeah. And asking the right questions is a crucial part of learning how to read Genesis the right way. Because a lot of times, like we said already, um, there are a, a, a number of questions that are valid questions that are perfectly decent questions, but that are not necessarily questions that the book of Genesis asks for us. They're not the fundamental questions. And this isn't to disparage them because you can have really good discussion around them, like the age of the earth, 
um, the uh, how many days were there gaps between the days? Um, uh, how uh, where where were dinosaurs? These are all good. These are all good questions. They're just not the fundamental questions that Genesis is asking and answering. Is that fair to say? This is kind of like if you have a small child who keeps asking you what time, you know, the fun thing is going to happen during the day. And you're like, well, first we need to do school. You know, like the, the, they can only yeah. fixate on the piece of the day that is probably the least formative and least least important. Uh, but in their minds, it's the big deal. Right. And uh, that's probably a bad, I don't know that. Um, no, I actually I think, think that's really good, Jen. I, 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 I was like, like, oh, wow, just that. <laughs> I'm going to use that in like a sermon or something like that. And I do think that when we when we look at the, the, if we will ask and answer, like what does every parent want? You just want your kid to understand, hey, this is the important thing, um, and and so that's what we're going to try to do with Genesis is ask well, what does the book of Genesis want us to be asking? Because we don't naturally know what the most important questions are. We grow into that knowledge as life beats us up a little bit. Um, but I think we have an opportunity to, to just say, well, maybe Genesis has already put some clues there of what the better questions are. Because if you're so distracted by the shiny object, then you sometimes can miss the the landscape that's out there in front of you. Now I'm yeah. totally mixing metaphors. No, no, but I think it actually works. I mean, I, 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 as a baseline, what you're saying is there are some fundamental things that we do not, um, that most of the time are not present in the, in the understanding, average understanding of the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Right. Let's start there with those big questions, some of the worldview questions that you mentioned already, because Genesis, like we've said, specifically these first 11 chapters, they're going to form our understanding of the rest of the story of Scripture. So we've mentioned that a couple of times. What are some of the pronounced ways that the first 11 chapters are going to introduce categories or introduce concepts or storylines, archetypes, things? I mean, we could. there is far more here than time for a three-minute question, but what are some of the big ways? Like... Uh, like for me, I think of uh, Adam Christ, the Adam Christ relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Adam as the, the, you know, Paul will talk about Adam in the garden as the first Adam and Jesus Christ is the last Adam. So there's this relationship. Spoiler alert. Yeah, sorry. Um, but there is this relationship that Paul sees and that's developed over the New Testament between Adam, uh, the Adam that you know in Genesis as the first Adam, and Christ as the perfect or last Adam or complete Adam or full Adam. And that relationship is pivotal for understanding Paul's doctrine of sin, Paul's doctrine of salvation, uh, and for understanding the role that Christ plays in kind of reinstating human or Adamic rule and reign over the world. So that's something that comes to mind. What are some other themes or archetypes or lines that you might trace from Genesis 1 through 11. Well, you could also argue if you're going to do the first Adam, second Adam, or last Adam, you could also talk about Eve and, and Mary, Jesus' yeah. mom, and how they're playing similar roles in what God is going to do in redemptive history. Um, I mean, just creation and recreation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Decreation and recreation. We'll yeah, see. That's, yeah. That's a better way to say it. Um, I think just... Uh, Dignity, uh, image bearing. You know, you see, you see that the the Bible is giving us a very clear picture about what it means to be a human being, and that's exactly what we're going to see in the image bearing of Jesus Christ in mm-hmm. Colossians chapter one. And so, one thing we'll get into in a few episodes is talking about how. And Kyle, you already alluded to this in these other creation narratives uh, in Egypt. There was only one image bearer of God, but 
but the Bible democratizes image bearing and says every single human is an image bearer and reigns on a throne on behalf of the God of, of God, not the gods. So, I mean, there's tons. As Jen, I think Jen has always said it well. This is the seedbed of so much of what's coming in the rest of the story. Yeah, I didn't say that, but I definitely ripped it off. Yeah, Genesis <laughs> is often called the seed plot of the Bible. It's where all of the seeds that we're going to see grow and weave their way, those vines, if you want to put it that way, that are going to weave their way through the rest of the, the story. And so there are these themes like we're talking about, but then there's also the mega theme or the, uh, as we would call it, the the big story of the Bible, the meta narrative, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I think a lot of people think that Genesis just covers creation and fall. And it, it actually mm-hmm. covers all four of those, uh, those ideas. And so that'll be another thing that we'll see. So that's what I love about Genesis is, and that's why I say that more than any other book, this book has changed the way I read the Bible because it is giving you the framework that you need to understand uh, why the other authors wrote what they did the way that they did. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and we get um, this season uh, going through Genesis 1 through 11. I mean, we have all of the footing to cover things like sin and the impact of sin, the complexities of sin on a broken world, um, the, uh, the role of covenant, God's covenant keeping and God's covenant making. You get to see that in Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, we're going to get to get accounts of the scatteredness of the world. And we're going to get pictures of God's renewing work in the world. And so there's just so much in Genesis 1 through 11. And I'm really excited that we get to start here. I think I want to land the plane here um, because I, I've, got a, I've got a thing that I want to do at the end of the season where I come back to something that we do right now. And I'm, I'm putting you on the spot. But if you had to... <laughs> And we're going to be gracious with one another. I do not um, feel safe. Do you feel safe, JT? Never. If you, if, you had to, <laughs> if you had to summarize the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and let's say you have to do it in a, this is your elevator summary of Genesis 1 through 11, how would you do it? You get 15, 20 seconds to say, this is what Genesis 1 through 11 is about. How would you do it? JT, I'm going to put oh, you. Oh, come gotta, on. Well, she's you, written you a to, book on this thing. You well, I, go for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I'm, she's got a leg up. I'm going to put yeah. you on the spot. Okay. Uh, I'll try to keep it pretty simple. God is the creator of all things. He is benevolent, good, just, and righteous, and all-powerful. He creates a people for himself, for his, for his purposes, and for his glory, who were meant to reign and rule on his behalf, but instead rebel against him. But yet because of his love, he's going to find a way to cover their sins and draw him back to himself. Oh, that was really good, JT. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think about what I would add to that. Uh, are you going to go next, Kyle, or do you want me to go next? Oh, you're good. It, I don't want to go after you, so let me go before <laughs> you. <laughs> I've learned that is is a very, uh, it's always anticlimactic after you go. So, <laughs> Um, I think, uh, I think I'd probably say something super similar. The only thing I would say maybe is that God has made a covenant with his people in creation and the, uh, the his, his people, uh, those covenant people break that covenant almost immediately. Uh, and, but God is faithful to the covenant he makes with them and faithful to the world through them. Uh, and Genesis one through 11 is the story of the first initial, birthing pains of that story, disruption of that story. Uh, and it tells, it gives us a really, I think, good picture of how this is going to cycle through the rest of the Bible until God comes in the flesh. That's good. These are 
These are multiple sentences, by the way, but I will forgive it because I'm next and I would like to use more than one also. Um, I would say that Genesis is telling us God is our origin. And because of that, we owe him worship and obedience. Um, But instead, we worship ourselves. So we trade, we were created to reflect him and instead we choose to rival him. Um, And then despite the fact that we have rebelled against him, he reconciles us to him. He provides a way back and he is faithful to ensure that it happens. It's good. It's good. And concise. And it was, and it was more concise than JT and I. So yeah. <laughs> you know what I was thinking, Kyle, when you're talking about why it's always better to go before Jen, it's kind of like, if you go after Jen, you know, it's like, you know, they do that puppy uh, football game after the Super Bowl. <laughs> Like you've got the professionals playing football and right afterwards they've got like puppies running around. Like I feel like the puppy after yeah. the Super Bowl, after I try to explain something after Jen, I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah, exactly. I feel like I think, a cute little puppy, but not really doing anything meaningful. I think anybody who's listened to this long enough knows that there are entire episodes where I sit quietly hoping I'll have something to say when you guys are uh, on your on your jam. So. Well, um, I, uh, I'm really glad to be started on this. And thank you, listeners, for jumping into the conversation as well. If you want to talk more about this or if you want to find out more resources, you can join the conversation online by finding us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with Knowing Faith or Knowing Faith Podcast. And so you can find us out there. Um, you can also, if you're looking to kind of get more involved in Knowing Faith and participate, you can find us on Patreon where we have newsletter and some Patreon merch there as well. And that's just patreon.com slash knowing faith. In our next episode, we will be asking the question, what happened before the beginning? Hey guys, we're back. We're back. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) Let's do this. Let's do this. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Have a great day. Grace and peace.